Major League Baseball, there's a lot of memories and moments remembered for all the right reasons. Game 6 of the 2011 World Series. David Freeze ties it with a triple in the ninth, and then they win it on a walk-off home run in the 11th. And it's remembered as one of the greatest performances in the World Series. And the Cardinals win Game 7, 6-2, winning their 11th title. And then five years later, in another classic series, it's the Cleveland Indians, the then Cleveland Indians, against the Chicago Cubs. Chapman is on the mound. The guard, the then the Indians score three times to tie the game up. Most memorable home run that I ever got to see was Ryder Davis's game tying home run down the left field line. Even though we lost the game, I'll never forget that moment. It sends chills down my spine. Those are the good sides. On the other side of the coin, go to 2003. It's a National League Championship Series. We're in Chicago. They got Mark Pryor in the mound. A foul ball with one out. They're five outs away. Luis Castillo has a foul out on the left field line. Alou is there. C. Bartman tries to get there to catch the ball, and he interferes with him, and they just lose everything, and they all get so upset with him, and he becomes a scapegoat of a series when it's not really his fault. And then, seven years later, in 2010, in the beginning of June, Armando Galarraga is one out away from a perfect game. He gets a bad call by Jim Joyce at first base. But this is the story of how a guy who was signed out of Venezuela at the age of 16 by the Montreal Expos, spent seven years in the minor leagues, finally got a shot in 2007, had a breakout year in 2008 with the Tigers, finished fourth in the Rookie of the Year, then had a slump in 2009, had some problems with the rotation in 2010 and his attitude, and got the start of his life only to get screwed by Jim Joyce. This is One Call Changed Everything, Armando Galarraga's Near Perfect Game. It's June 2nd, 2010, and Armando Galarraga is now away from tossing the 21st perfect game in baseball history. Galarraga retired the first 26 innings he faced on just 80 pitches, and the only person standing in his way was light-hitting shortstop Jason Donald. But before we go any further, we need to go through how Galarraga got to the majors to be pitching the game of his life. His professional career in baseball began when the Montreal Expos Sign him as a free agent on October 31st, 1998, when he was just 16 years old. He pitched in the Expo slash Nationals organization for five seasons, from rookie ball to, to double A, going 13 and 17 with a 3.92 earned run average in 319 innings pitched, walking 95 to 263 strikeouts for a 2.77 strikeout to walks ratio. Galarraga's best minor league season came in 2005, where he went six and eight sporting a 3.80 earned run average in 156 and a third innings pitched, had 137 strikeouts to 44 walks. During his first five years in the minors, Galarraga's feature team, the Detroit Tigers, were struggling over the stretch going 307 and they lost 507, 502 games for a horrid 379 win percentage while averaging 61 wins and 100 losses a year. This included five straight seasons of not finishing above fourth in the American League Central, and the 2003 Tigers went 43-119 for the fifth-worst regular season record in MLB history by win percentage and second regarding most losses. In 7,155 and a third innings pitch from 01 to 2005, Detroit allowed 3,922 earned runs for a 4.93 earned run average and collected 7,143 hits in 27,648 at-bats for a 258 batting mark. 
This drastically changed for the Tigers in 2006, when the organization hired Perrysburg, Ohio native Jim Leland to manage the club, who took the Pirates to three consecutive NLCS appearances from 1990 to 1992, and led the 1997 Florida Marlins to win the World Series over the Cleveland Indians. Galarraga was also on the move in 2005, being traded by the Washington Nationals with Termal Sledge and Brad Wilkerson to the to the Texas Rangers for Alfonso Soriano. Soriano ended up having a 40-40 campaign in 2006 in the nation's capital with 46 homers and swiping 41 bases to become the fourth and most recent member of the 40-40 club. Back to Galarraga, the focus of our story. He struggled in his first year in the Ranger organization, going 1-10 in and 27 starts in the minors with a high 5.01 ERA but struck out 135 batters, while Leland led the Tigers to a 24-win improvement from the previous year to finish 95-67, and a game behind the first-place Minnesota Twins, earning them the wild-card spot in the American League playoffs. Detroit reached the playoffs for the first time in 21 years, when the club battled the, the Twins in the... The Twins in the 1987, well, they made the playoffs the first time in 19 years as they battled the Twins in the 1987 ALCS, which they lost in five games. Their first opponent in 2006 postseason was the New York Yankees, who finished the year at 97-65. At the time, had made 11 consecutive playoff appearances, six AL pennants, and four World Series titles. The Yankees were a loaded offensive club as they led the league with 930 runs, a 8-4 OPS, and a 111 OPS plus. As they took Game One by a score of 8-4 at Yankee Stadium. So how did how? But Jack, how did the how did the Tigers defeat the heavily favored New York Yankees? Well, they got some good pitching and they were able to get some timely hitting in there as well. So Detroit rallied off the legendary Mike Messina in Game 2, where they scored three times from a 5th to 7th innings to take a slim 4-3 lead, and their closer, Todd Jones, closed out the Brox Bombers to even the series, sending it to Comerica Park in Detroit for Games 3-4. to f- for games three to four. The Yankees left their bats in New York as they only scored three runs over the final two games, hitting 178, as well as going 1-for-13 with runners in scoring position, and they left 11 men on base. During the final two games. Very costly for the Yankees. Detroit outscored the Yankees 14-3 in the final two games. Advancing to the American League Championship Series. Facing the American League West champions. The Oakland Athletics. Who's up the Twins in their American League Division Series matchup. That year's edition of the ALCS wasn't even close. As the Tigers swept the A's. Outscoring them 22-9. With Maglio Ordonez hitting a walk-off three-run blast. In Game 4, sending Detroit to the World Series on the same day that they won their last World Series. And they would go to, the, they would go to their first Fall Classic since they last won it in 1984. In the 102nd edition of the Fall Classic, the Tigers faced an 83-78 and St. Louis Cardinals for the second worst record for a league champion. The 1973 New York Mets hold that title going 82-79. and the series began at Comerica Park on October 21st with the Cardinals bats providing rookie Anthony Reyes with seven runs as he tossed eight strong innings, besting fellow rookie Justin Verlander in Game 1. 41-year-old Southpaw Kenny Rogers evened up the Fall Classic, 
after tossing eight frames of one-run ball with or without the use of substance to help grip the ball in the cold weather. The World Series moved to the show-me state, and for the third consecutive game, the winning pitcher went eight innings. This time, the Cardinals' Chris Carpenter did it with six strikeouts and no walks. In the pivotal game four, Tony Ralusa gave the ball to veteran Jeff Supon, while Leland sent Jeremy Bonderman to tie the World Series. It proved to be the closest game as each starter pitched in this, into the sixth inning. Sean Casey and Yvonne Rodriguez went six for eight with three RBIs, while David Eckstein had a four for five day, driving in a pair of runs. The Cardinals narrowly won five to four, a chance to claim their 10th World Series title with another win in game five. St. Louis dominant pitching continued in the clincher, where Jeff Weaver pitched eight frames, striking out nine Tigers, and Adam Wainwright recorded the final three outs, and the Cardinals celebrated like it was 1982, the last time they won a championship. The clinching game was won without an extra base hit by St. Louis, and David Eckstein, the short shortstop, was named World Series MVP after collecting eight hits, three doubles, and four RBIs to bat 364 in the series. In 2007, the Tigers and Cardinals failed to reach the postseason as Detroit finished 88-74 for second in the American League Central, while St. Louis won 74-88 to finish third in the National League Central. Galarraga started the 07 campaign in AA with the Rangers that year and eventually made it to AAA. In 26 minor league starts that year, he went 8-11-8 with a 4.14 earned run average in 152 and a third innings pitched, tossing three complete games, all of them were shutouts, and struck out 135 batters. After seven years in the minors, Galarraga was called up to the big league club in late September, and on the 15th made his debut. Manager Ron Washington inserted him to pitch the eighth inning, which was a clean outing besides a walk in Oakland's seven-free win over Texas. Galarraga pitched in two more games that year, one of them a start, to finish his first year with a 6.23 ERA, in 8.2 innings pitched, and 6 strikeouts, which is a small sample size. Not really much to tell how well he'll turn out in just that few innings. The Rangers went 75-87 and 87 for 4th in the AL West, and from 2001 to 2007, had gone 53-539 and 595 with no postseason appearances. In the postseason, the Boston Red Sox ended up winning the World Series over the Colorado Rockies in a sweep, claiming their second title in four seasons, with Michael Lowell taking home the World Series MVP. Four months following the 103rd Fall Classic, the Rangers traded Galarraga to the Tigers for minor leaguer Mike Hernandez. Detroit's big splash, big splash came two months prior, where the franchise acquired slugging third baseman Miguel Cabrera, who moved to first base, and one-time 20-game winner Dontrell Willis from the Marlins, sending six players to Florida, including the future 2016 ALCS MVP Andrew Miller and Cameron Mabin. The 2008 Tigers stood at 47-47 and at the All-Star break and were 6.5 games behind front-running Chicago White Sox. In the first half, Galarraga posted good numbers. A 3.27 ERA, winning 7% of his games, going 7-3 and in 93 and a two-thirds innings pitched, striking out 62 to walking only 37, and pitched seven or more frames on two occasions. While Miguel Cabrera led the way offensively in the first half with 99 hits, 16 dingers, and 57 RBIs. Detroit had a tough second half as they went 27-41, and which included a horrific 8-18 record in September, the poorest 
back half of the season dropped the Tigers seven and a half games in the standings to place dead last in the AL Central. As the White Sox claimed the division in a Game 163 tiebreaker victory over the Minnesota Twins at U.S. Cellular Field, backed by a Jim Tomey solo blast and masterful pitching by starter John Danks and closer Bobby Jenks. With the latter picking up his 30th save on the season. The White Sox were eliminated by the Rays in four games in the division series as Tampa marched to their first World Series that they lost to the Phillies four games to one. In their first year wearing the old English D, Galarraga posted a 13-7 record with a 373 ERA in 178 and a two-thirds innings pitched, and he struck out 226 batters. He finished fourth in the Air Rookie of the Year, voting behind Jacoby Ellsbury, Alexei Ramirez, and the winner, Evan Longoria. Cabrera continued his brilliant young career with 127 RBIs and led the AL with 37 homers, and he had... 331 total bases as well, but just finished 13th in the MP voting with Dustin Pedroia from the Boston Red Sox winning the award. Ever since their run to the World Series in 2006, the Tigers went 162 and 162, missing the postseason both times, but the club was poised to reach October in 2009. Detroit was nine games above 500 at 48 and 39 during the All-Star break, and were slightly ahead of the White Sox by three and a half games, with the Minnesota four games behind. Galarraga took a step back that year, as in the first half went 5-8 and eight with a high 5.08 ERA in 99 innings, and struck out 65-43 to 43 walks, for a 1.51 strikeout-to-walk ratio. Cabrera once again led the Tigers at the plate, with 103 hits, 18 home runs, and 50 RBIs, and a 9.26 OPS. The second half, Detroit played mediocre baseball, going 38 and 37, which included a four and six stretch from game 160, game 153 to game 162, while the Twins went 41 and 32 and going seven to three in that same 10 game stretch to force a game 163 tiebreaker game on Tuesday, October 6th at the Hubert H. Humphrey Metrodome. That is arguably the most entertaining tiebreaker game in MLB history. Jim Leland used Verlander two days prior to defeat the White Sox five to three so they can get to this game 163. So he gave the baseball to 14 game winner Rick Porcello. And Ron Gardenhire countered with Scott Baker. Porcello and Baker traded zeros for the first two frames. Then the bats heated up for the Tigers with a three-run three run third coming with two outs. On an Maglio Ordonia's RBI single and Cabrera's two-run blast, his 34th on the season. The Twins got a run back in the home half on a Porcello throwing air, but they entered the sixth down to their last 12 outs. Make it 10 after Porcello retired Orlando Cabrera and Joe Mauer to start the frame. Jason Kubel hit a homer on the second pitch of the third at bat to cut the deficit in half that increased the Twins' win probability from negative 3% to 13%. Baker pitched into the seventh inning, and Gardenhire used three separate relievers, John Roosh, Jose Mijares, and Matt Guerrier, to get out of the inning unscathed. In the bottom frame, Minnesota took a one-run lead on an Orlando Cabrera two-run shot. Maglio Ordonez tied the contest in the 8th with a home run of his own. From there, it was the battle of the bullpens as Joe Nathan pitched 
one and two-thirds scoreless frames, and the Tigers closer, Fernando Rodney, tossed a donut in the bottom of the ninth. Detroit took a 5-4 advantage on the Brandon Inge double off Jesse Crane and were three defensive outs away from being the AL Central Division Champions. And Michael Kadir leadoff triple led to Matt Talbert's game-tying single, and we headed to the 11th where nobody scored. The Tigers threatened in the 12th with the bases loaded and one out, which likely means they scored at least one run, right? No. But Twins got the force at the plate, and Bobby Capel struck out Gerald Laird, the Tigers catcher, to give Minnesota a chance to walk it off. Rodney is out for his third inning of work, and he allows Carlos Gomez single to start the frame, and with Gomez on his second base with two outs, Lewin intentionally walks Delman Young to face Alexi Castilla to try to get the double play. Castilla hit a ground ball through the right side, sending Gomez to score the winning run and the Metrodome into a frenzy. Detroit was going home while the Twins were heading to the Bronx to face the Yankees in the ALDS. The Twins were swept while the team that beat them won the World Series over the Phillies in six games. 2009 stung for the Tigers. I just had seven games up on September 6th with a 74-61 record with 27 games to play, going 12-15 and over that stretch, and had three, had multiple chances to close up with Twins in a tiebreaker game, but failed both times with their first attempt tying the game and the second losing it. Gararaga finished 2009 with a 6-10 record, 5.64 ERA, and 143 and two-thirds innings pitch with 95 strikeouts and 67 walks. But Cabrera had 198 hits, 34 home runs, and 103 RBIs to go along with a 324 batting average and a 942 OPS. So again, the Tiger season's over. They don't go to the playoffs. They lose the wild card game. Now let's go to 2010. So 2010 was not a kind to Gaaraga. From the beginning, as in the spring training with the Tigers, he allowed nine runs, 14 hits, seven walks, over seven Grapefruit League endings that spring, which removed his name from the list of contending pitchers for the fifth starter's job. The other problem was his attitude. It was another component. They just said, they see my stuff. They know what I can do, Gaaraga said during his ineffective spring training stint as the organization decided to send him to down to AAA affiliate Toledo on March 18, 2010. Garaga was called up in mid-May and pitched in three games that month. Two starts and carried a 1-1 one -one record with a 4.50 ERA. At that point of the season, the Tigers were 20-16, making them 2.2.5 games behind the Twins. Close to three weeks since Garaga was called up, he took the mound for the 26 and 25 Detroit Tigers against Fasta Cremona and the 19 and 31 Cleveland Indians in a night game at Comerica Park. In the first, Galarraga faced Trevor Crow, Sin Su Chu, and Austin Kearns, retiring with side in order on just nine pitches. He kept the rolling in the second when he sent Hafner, Travis Hafner, Johnny Peralta, and Russell Branion back to the dugout, making 10 pitches. Miguel Cabrera provided his starter with some offense in the bottom half of the second when he hit a solo home run, making it 1-0 Detroit. In the third, Gallagher faced the bottom of the order, Mark Gonzalonic, Mike Redmond, and Jason Donald, and sent them down in order, and through the first three stanzas, had only thrown 30 pitches, and no Indians batter saw a three-ball count. Gallagher made quick work of the top of the lineup for the second straight time in the fourth, getting Kern's strikeout looking down the frame, to give the right-hander his first K of the game. 
It's now a top of the fifth. And the Tigers still only have one run, but Gararaga is dealing, which continues. Perfect game was in jeopardy that inning when he had a 3-2 count on Hafner that ended in foul ball, foul fly ball going into the glove of Johnny Damon for an out. Gararaga threw four pitches to retire Peralta and Brannion and was more than halfway to perfection. The sixth was slightly more efficient than the first, as he tossed seven pitches and threw the middle of three stanzas through 28 pitches for a total of 58 for the first six frames. Galarraga sent down the top of the order for a third consecutive time on just six pitches and went back out for the eighth, retiring the four, five, and six hitters thrice for the third time he's done that. So now he's retired the first 24 batters he's faced, but he needs three more to be in the history books. Alongside greats such as Eddie Joss, who he did in the 1908, Dennis Martinez, when he did it in 1991 in Dodger Stadium with the Montreal Expos, and most recently at that time, Randy Johnson. Well, most recently at that time was Mark Burley in 2009, but Randy Johnson was a legend and he tossed a perfect game at the age of 40 in 2004 in Atlanta at Turner Field. Gallagher received two more runs coming on an Ordonez RBI single, and Damon scored on a Sinshu 2 throwing error. Making him score Detroit 3 and Cleveland nothing. The 20-year-old right-hander entered the ninth, having thrown 75 pitches, and five pitches sent Grunjelanik and Redmond down on a flyout and groundout. Galarraga is now one out away from a perfect game, and everything he's been through, whether that's seven years in the minors, a breakout rookie year, and sophomore slumps, to not making the starting rotation out of spring training, None of that matters, as Jason Donald is the only thing Gararaga is focused on. He got ahead of Donald with a, with a, with a changeup. Strike one. Donald comes back into the batter's box. Gararaga winds up, throws another changeup, but it goes low, down low and away for ball one. One and one's the count. Gararaga again climbs back onto the pitching slab with the crowd on its feet. And Donald hits the ball in between first and second. And Cabrera goes to his right to pick up the ball. Galarraga races to cover the bag and catches the throw from Cabrera, and his foot is on the bag before Donald touches the base. First base umpire Jim Joyce mistakenly calls him safe. Galarraga can't believe it with a smile on his face, while Cabrera put his arms over his head in disbelief, while the fans were showing their displeasure of the club call. Jim Leland comes out to talk about the call, but probably is told by the crew chief that the runner was safe and doesn't get heated, as it would have only made the situation worse. Round ball, right side, Cabrera will cut it off, Galarraga covers, he's out, no, he's safe, he is safe. He is safe at first base. And here comes Jim Leland. Jim Joyce said he was safe at first base. You make the call. Cabrera, Galarraga. He missed the base. He's out. Why is he safe? He must have missed the base. Are you kidding me? Why is he safe? You see right here. Why is he safe? 
Oh my goodness, Jim Joyce, no! Jeez oh, Louise. Oh my goodness. What a travesty. What an absolute travesty for Armando Galarraga. Oh my goodness, Armando. I'm sorry for you, big fella. I am really sorry for you. Galarraga recollected himself and got Crow to ground out to Brandon Ange to have a one-hit complete game shutout, or many people call it the imperfect game or a 28-out perfect game. Even though the Tigers won the game, the Detroit home broadcasters expressed disappointment. When the game ended, the players got in Jim Joyce's face and Leland began to argue with him, and it got real heated, real fast. Bouncing ball left side, Brandon in. I have never been this disappointed after a Tigers win. Oh my goodness. Armando Galarraga. What an outstanding performance tonight. And I feel for you. Look at these players. Unbelievable. The players shouldn't get too much in Jim Joyce's face, no. though, because it's no. all said and done. It's over. Let's go, boys. I mean, it's, it's done. Over. It's over. Tigers win it here tonight. At least Jim Joyce is standing there and taking it like a man. He is doing that. And Jim Leland is letting him have it. Some oh Tigers and players let him have it. I don't know, Rod. I, I, I don't know how to describe this. I just feel so bad for Armando Galarraga. What an effort tonight for Armando. We'll step aside. Tigers win here tonight. Galarraga spectacular. In the post-game interview, Galarraga handled it well and said it was the best he'd ever pitched and that he hadn't seen the replay. This is what he had to say on Fox Sports Detroit. I believe the quote you use in a situation like this is, you was robbed. Your, your thoughts, Armando. A tremendous game, obviously, but your thoughts on the play that spoiled what would have been perfection. Yeah, yeah, that was my fastball. And I don't know, I feel real nervous. I feel good, though. That was... That was probably my best. It was my best game so far, and, and I hope we'll have keep going like that. And uh, I don't know what to say. You know, the decision, the last inning, it was. I had to see the replays, but I mean, I feel really good. Well, I can tell you right now, I've seen plenty of replays, and the call was blown. But let's talk to a call that wasn't blown. Austin Jackson out in center field, that over-the-shoulder catch. It looked like destiny at that point, don't you think? Yeah, I mean. When, when he got that catch, I mean, like, come on, you know, you, you you got it. I was I was thinking and attack that guys. I don't think it, did, you know, not too much about the no hitter. I don't know, it's my mind. I can't help it, but I, I was thinking attack that guys, get get in the zone. Is he gonna swing, swing it? And uh, when I see that play, say, okay, you got it now, you got it, bro. Talk about your emotions throughout the night. The crowd behind you, guys in the dugout, whatever you might have experienced tonight. Tell us about what went through your mind. <laughs> I mean. I don't know. In that circumstance, you don't you don't think too much. You use like action, you know, pitch by pitch, and uh, and uh, and you you start like get a little bit, you know, pump it up, and a little bit nervous. Everything coming together. But uh, I don't know how to explain. Is is something that the, the coming go real quick because I was quick, you know, and. Uh, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> well, as it is, it's a one-hit shout-out. Congratulations on a big, big win. Tremendous night. Thanks a Thank lot. You. Thank you. Thank you. After the game, reporters were in Jimmy Leland's office asking him questions about the almost-perfect game by Armando Galarraga. 
and your thoughts about the umpire, Jim Joyce's call, and most importantly, the win they picked up against Cleveland. Well, it was it was just an unbelievable performance, and that's that's uh, that's the nature of the business. Um, you know, I don't think there's much sense uh, uh, really talking about it. His performance was absolutely perfect, and still is perfect. But uh, that's you know that's the nature of the business. That's that's just the way it is. The players are human. The umpires are human. The managers are human. The writers are human. Uh, TV celebrities like Trevor, they're human. We all make mistakes, so. Uh, that's just part of it, and you just move on. It's a crying shame, but uh, you know Jimmy's a real good umpire, has been for a long time, and uh, he, he probably got it wrong. What was his reaction, though, Jim, after the game? Because clearly a lot of guys were talking to him, including you, after the game. Well, I, I think you got to remember one thing: that uh, you know, with the naked eye, I couldn't tell, and neither could anybody on the bench. Some guys, obviously, I think that's that's a little more emotional than normal. So everybody is saying automatically out. Uh, you know, it wasn't until after a lot of guys had the luxury of looking at the replay uh, that they saw that he was out. So I think uh, <clears throat> emotions started to run a little bit higher after that. Um, <clears throat> but, um, you know, that's the way it goes. Uh, you know, you move on and uh, it was, <coughs> excuse me, it was a brilliant performance and you accept it as that and, and uh, you come back and play tomorrow. Jim, did you think it was destined to be after the catch that Jackson made? <coughs> no, I don't really believe in stuff like that. I, and that's why baseball is such a great game. I mean, Grizzlelonic smoked the ball real good. That's a brilliant catch. Uh, just absolutely as good as it gets. And then a little infield, kind of a nubber actually, um, ends up, you know, breaking up a perfect game. Um, that's just the game of baseball. And that's probably why it's a great game. Can you describe your feelings when he was called safe there? Just what were you Well, I, I mean, I was, you know, I, uh, I was obviously nervous. Uh, you know, to be honest with you, uh, you know, you're pulling so hard for the kid. That's something that just isn't done very often. There's been a couple of them this year, and it looked like, uh, you know, after Jackson made the catch, you know, maybe you start thinking, but uh, just, you know, that's the way it goes. There's really nothing you can do about it. It's in the history book as, as a great performance, and uh, that's pretty much how you look at it. Jimmy, he remained pretty composed throughout, too. I imagine you must feel pretty good about the way that he uh, kept himself together through all of this. Well, I was more impressed with just the way he went after the hitters. Just pounded the strike zone all night long. You know, a good slider, both sides of the plate. I mean, that, that, that's what I was really impressed with, you know. Um, you know, you can see the faces on the guys in the dugout. Obviously, everybody aware of what's going on. Obviously, I was aware of what's going on. Uh, but, <clears throat> um, you know, I think the, the thing we're losing side of here too is we you know we needed to win a game and we won a game and I'm sure Armando's happy about that so um, you know this is one of those where it was great for the team it was probably even greater for him because of the performance um, so hopefully we can come out tomorrow and, and get after it and get another win we need another one bad um, but it is it, it, I mean it's a crying shame you know in, in a lot of ways um, it, it, you know after looking at the play and, and, and Jim's a class guy. He's going to look at the play. And <clears throat> this sounds crazy, but after looking at the play, nobody's going to feel worse than he does, obviously. So I think you have to take that in consideration. You know, I yelled a little bit after the game because the emotions are high. And, you know, like I said, we had the luxury to replay. So that's a little unfair. But, uh, you know, it's, it, you just want it so bad for the kid. It's not, I don't think you're as mad at, at the umpire as you are you know, mad that the, the kid didn't get it and, and did deserve it. I think that's the big thing. But 
like I said, Jim will look at it. Nobody's going to feel worse than he did. Is this something you can take up a Major League Baseball? Talk about it after? No, no, I don't think this is this is the human element of the game. It's going to remain that way forever. I think it should. Uh, <clears throat> you know, uh, I, I'm sure somebody's going to say, you know, uh, if they had a replay on that play, the kid had a perfect game. Somebody will say something about that, but not me. Uh, I just <clears throat> that's the human element. And uh, it's a good element because, uh, you know, the umpires do a great job. There's no question about that. And they, you know, they're, they're a whole lot right more than they are wrong. And they, they make some unbelievable calls on bang-bang plays that, uh, you know, you'd be surprised how many re replays you look at where they're right and you thought they were wrong and they are right. So it's, uh, you know, it's a little disturbing, but not to the point where, um, <clears throat> you know, you don't just turn the page. And... Uh, like I said, Jim's been a good umpire for a long time, and he's a class act, and he's going to look at it, and nobody's going to feel worse than he does. You know, just so I'm factually clear, did he think that he bobbled it, or did he just think he beat it? No, that, that was the, the great part. You know, I think if, you know, from my vantage point, uh, if by chance, you know, Galarraga maybe would have come off the bag or something, then, you know, I, I thought maybe that was involved. That was not involved. He, he just felt that he beat it. That, that was his explanation to me. He beat it. <clears throat> and, um, you know, you just you have to accept that, and we do accept it. You know, you don't like it tonight, but, uh, you know, the season will go on. And, uh, it, 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 you know, it, it, it's, it's a shame, but that's part of the game. Jim, what's to say about the team and the guys that they gave him a beer shower and celebrated this like they would, uh, even if it had been a perfect well, game they're, for Well, they're calling it a perfect game. They're saying he retired 28 straight. So, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, it's... Uh, it's not quite as nice as it would have been had it had it turned out, you know. But uh, that's okay. I mean, you can talk about this one, you know. You can people can rip on the umpires, writers, TV, whatever you want to do. It, it doesn't change anything. And, and the fact is that that guy's a very, very good umpire. And I, I will say this: I, I don't know of any umpire in the history of the game that that would want to miss that call, you know. And they don't want to give you anything, but they don't want to miss the call. They're just doing their job. He apparently happened to miss it. Uh, what are you going to do? So the Tigers won the game 3-1. to Galarraga does not get the perfect game. But the Tigers move on. They play the Indians in a getaway game the next day on Thursday. It's like a 1 o'clock start. So Jim Joyce is the home plate umpire. So they decide to give Galarraga the lineup card to present it to him. And they have him a moment, a very emotional moment before the game. So the Tigers defeat Cleveland 12-6, to improving to 28-25. And then Galarraga starts five days later in the south side of Chicago. He goes five innings and a 7-2 win over the White Sox, but he does not factor into the decision. So over the, over the course of a 2010 season, which he pitched in 20 starts during that season, Galarraga went 2-8 uh, and eight over 118 in the third innings pitched. Checking out 61 and walking 45. Regarding the team, Detroit went 81-81, and 81, finishing third in the AL Central. Two months after the San Francisco Giants bested the Texas Rangers in the two in the 104th Fall Classic, the, the, the Rangers sent Galarraga to the Arizona Diamondbacks for minor leaguers Kevin Itchhorn and Ryan Robowski. He made only eight starts for the NL West Division champions, going three and four with a 5.91 ERA in 42 and two-thirds innings, and once again, walks were an issue. With 22 walks to 28 strikeouts for a 4.6 walks per nine innings. And a 1.27 strikeout to walk ratio. 
Galarraga wasn't on any postseason roster as he was designated for assignment on May 17, 2011, with the D-backs lost a hard-fought series in Game Five in five games to the Milwaukee Brewers. Well, the team who traded him reached the ALCS, and he couldn't be a part of it. Detroit lost to Texas as their firepower offense was too much for the Tigers' pitching staff and bullpen. Texas lost a classic seven-game seven-game World Series. Highlighted by multiple comebacks by the Cardinals to win Game 6 and take the series in Game 7. Galarraga signed with the Baltimore Orioles on January 18th, 2012 to a minor league contract and was released by them on April 6, 2012, the first day of the regular season. Over a month later, signed with the Houston Astros, starting five games, going 0-4 with a 6.75 ERA, walking more than he struck out with 18 compared to 17. He last pitched in the majors on August 19, 2012, when he was 30 years old and three days later was designated for assignment, then another three days went on and was released by the Houston Astros. Other than, over the next two years, he signed a minor league contract, first with the Cincinnati Reds, then was traded to the Colorado Rockies in the middle of July, pitching for the AAA affiliate Sky Sox. In 2014, signed a minor league contract with the Rangers, but was released on March 24th. With his career in the MLB over, Galarraga kept playing professionally for the China Trust Brother Elephants of the Taiwan, tai, Taiwan's Chinese Professional Baseball League, hosting a 4.47 ERA in 10 games. On July 5th, 2014, he was released by the club. Galarraga signed a contract with the Parisios de Puebla of the Mexican League, and in December 2015, officially retired from the game of baseball. Armando Galarraga's almost perfect game happened almost 12 years ago, and people still talk about it to this day in 2022. In 2020, during the COVID-19 pandemic when there was no baseball going on, there were a lot of people arguing for the call to be changed and gave him the perfect game. At the time, I was all for it since it was a terrible call ruling a masterpiece which i was watching at the time because again mlb network was just starting out and espn was all the rage back then and you know like when you when there was a big game going on you go to a sports center and it would do a live look in i was watching the live look in on my team was on tv and i'm like oh my gosh he's gonna he can throw a perfect game here and i still remember this day the throw cabrera had it was perfect he was on the back they called him safe and then all the aftermath ensued and it was crazy. Like, I was 10, and I remember that that play like it was yesterday. Now, continuing on, I, I the, the masterpiece, which wouldn't really affect much if you changed the call, because all it would change was Donald's career batting average, which would change by very, very slightly. And it would change Garaga's whip, Garaga's batting average against. It would change his hits. It would change some things for his statistics, but... It would still be a one in the scorebook for the Gar for the Tigers, a loss for the then Indians. It would really just change minor things. But this is a regular season game we're talking about here. Okay, this is like a regular season game. Now, last week it was reported that Monmount University Law Class is trying to save Garaga's perfect game. They're trying to promote fairness, so they were learning about fairness and that things should be fair. Yes, I do agree with that as they submitted a 82-page document to MLB Commissioner Rob Manfred, hope we make his outing a perfect game. From right now, my stance has changed from 2020 to the present, as I think there is a case to change the outcome of an already official game, 
but that would open the door to alter other calls in more crucial games. And granted, there's replay right now, and, like, let's be very, very clear here. If there is instant replay in 2010, and they replay the call, and they call him out, the place goes berserk, and it's the most anticlimactic thing you'll ever see. He's safe, he's out, the game's over, he throws the perfect game, and the crowd goes nuts. Like, what if that happened? What if the perfect game, the 21st perfect game, ended on a blown call, they put on the headsets, they go back and look at the call, and they go, no, wait, we were wrong, he's out, ball game's over. What if that happened? If that would have happened... He would have had the lowest second, the lowest pitch count in a perfect game since Addy Joss. And I think he only had like 77 pitches or 74 pitches. So that's a lot, considering the fact that that is an impressive feat. Um, but again, going to experience here, I don't think that it would matter if they changed the call. But at the same time, like the game happened 12 years ago. Let's move on. Um, it didn't really affect that much. It sucks he didn't get the perfect game. I feel for the guy, and I feel bad that it... I don't really feel like it like, really negatively affected his career, because, like, no one saw that coming. No one saw it coming, and he was an amazing... It, it was an amazing story. But it's unfortunate that that had to happen to him. And if there was replay, maybe that call gets overturned. Uh, but unfortunately, it was 2010. There was no replay. There was definitely replay in the NFL. There was no replay in the NHL. There was no replay in basketball, so there's really, I mean, there was, there was, the scoreboard wasn't even digitized yet, so there's really nothing you could do, and I, I really feel that, you know, it was the human element of the game, as what Jim Leland was saying earlier, he was saying in his interview, you know, that's why I want to keep it, because the human element is so important, I feel like, like, for an example of a call that, like, you can't change is the Don Dinkinger call in the World Series, you can't change that call, the players might be dead, the players are old. They're not going to be fit to play. If you change that game, the Cardinals win that game. The series is over. There's no game seven. There's no parade in St. Louis. There's no parade in Kansas City. The series is over. So that's kind of why I feel like you can't change calls like that. You just can't. The game's over. It's official. And even Leland didn't want to change the call. But again, Umpires are human, and they make mistakes sometimes, which is an important element of the game of baseball that will be missed whenever the robot umpires arrive. Those are my thoughts on Armando Garvalho's new perfect game. I hope you enjoy this episode of Baseball Nostalgia 869. Thanks for listening, and have a great rest of your day.